0: Welcome to Dot 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 The Musical, where each week we take a favorite movie, book, or other story and turn it into a stage musical. I'm Jen. And I'm Hayley. And this week we're adventuring into J.R.R. Tolkien's classic novel, The Hobbit.
1: The Hobbit first published in 1937 and then revised after Tolkien started writing Lord of the Rings. And those revisions were published in editions from 1951. Apparently I didn't know this, but Tolkien attempted to revise it again in 1960 to make it the tone of the Hobbit match, the Lord of the Rings better, but all of his friends read it and were like, this is very bad. This is not the Hobbit. Don't do this. And so he gave up on the effort, which I mean, I mean, we can get into this, but super true. If you try and tell The Hobbit in the tone of Lord of the Rings, you'll end up with those three bad movies. Um, also, the original edition had illustrations by Tolkien, which I just think is cute. There's been a ton of adaptations, including the very bad 2012-2014 trilogy by Peter Jackson that I just mentioned. Another iconic version is the 1978 super surreal Rankin and Bass animated version, which I've only seen parts of, but I'm scared of it. Yep. And there are stage versions, I learned. Uh, The first authorized stage production was for schools, and it was first performed in 1953. Um, In 2004, uh, someone made a children's opera, which has been performed several times, and there is indeed a musical adapted by Ruth Perry in 1972, and apparently it is available for licensing, but as I have never heard of that, let's just, let's just keep going. Let's just press on. There isn't an icon, there isn't an iconic one. Oh, the go-to, it's not like it's fan of the opera, there's a version of fan of the opera, we don't need more.
0: Yeah, exactly. I feel like this is, I'm, I, I feel good about, about doing our version no. Um so starting
1: so. right now, I'm gonna try and not use the word iconic anymore in this <laughs> podcast, Unlike every other one where I've read it seventeen hundred times.
0: But it's so iconic.
1: That's my goal. <laughs> it's too early for catchphrases. So I admit this is not I, I didn't read I read, I tried to read The Hobbit as a kid and actually really didn't like it. And then I got really into The Lord of the Rings in college and then I yeah. went back and reread The Hobbit then and yes. liked it better, but like by then I was in college and it was very much a sense of like this is the children's book version of this other story that I like better.
0: Yeah, 100%. I I got really into Lord of the Rings when the film versions came out when I was in middle school and in high school, and I believe I read The Hobbit in high school, but it's never like when I I, I reread it and I was like, "Oh, Right. I like this, but it's not the thing that I totally, like, fangirl over um, at all.
1: That said, I think you could make a great musical.
0: No, same. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's fascinating because there's 11 songs in this. 11? I counted. But I think there are 11 songs in this book, which is just, like, very... So this is really different than, like, what we've done before. Oh, 14 songs. I have 14 songs. That's half of what you need. Right, be a musical. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's really, I'm, so I kind of, I'm fascinated by this. I have the total delight of, um, doing a little, a bit of, uh, prep for this episode, uh, while hanging out with my brother, Jim. And Jim, uh, just started singing some of the songs from the 1978 Rankin and Bass adaptation that he certainly had not watched since he was like in fourth grade Or something was just like
1: embedded in his psyche
0: no, they are and he, he just he could sing like all of the whole 15 birds song like anyway that's
1: sorry. amazing I just I, no, wanted, that's
0: great. I wanted him to guest on this podcast and sing the song and he refused um, I think it's, it's so Which we'll see what we
1: can manage in post production
0: yeah okay <laughs>
1: Well, so starting with that, that was yeah. like the first idea that I had about this was given that there are so many... It, I, I started thinking about the question of diegetic versus non-diegetic music, to use the technical terms. Diegetic music is music that exists in world. So the songs that the hobbits that or that the dwarves sing that like, oh, we're going to sit down and sing a song, is diegetic music. And non-diegetic music is like the backing soundtrack. And I guess in a musical, the sort of songs that people sing arguably fall into this weird middle ground of, like, they're singing, but it's not, except for, it's in a musical, note ever it, says, so like, why did you just sing a song unless it's enchanted? So that was sort of, it's not quite the right terms to describe how music functions in musicals, but it does create, it illustrates this divide between, like, times when characters recognize they're singing or playing music
0: right. and times
1: when we're kind of pretending that the music isn't happening. And I was like, what if... This only has diegetic music. Like, what if the only music and the only songs are like in world songs?
0: Right. Well, what I was, I was like looking at this and I was like, how is this different Then is this a play with music or is this a musical? That like, classic. That, I, it is. Yeah. Like, it is. I kind of, I was looking at this and I was like, is this more of a Peter and the Star situation where there's like some beautiful music where that they sing in that show, but it is not a musical and like, what is that divide?
1: That's true. I mean, I think that the difference... I mean, Peter and the Starcatcher is a bit weird because it has, like, three songs. Right, right, right. Like, it's got a weird number a of songs. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, can we add enough music yeah. that maybe technically it is a play with music, but really practically it is a musical because there's so much music and so many different songs. Um, and I just... That was... I was, like... And then I started thinking about, so what does music indicate if it doesn't indicate a character's kind of state of mind yeah or if it's not being used to sort of narrate you know backstory or something and I was like I think one of the things that makes this both fun and complicated is there's a bunch of different cultures that get depicted in the thing you know we've got the hobbits and then we have the dwarves and then we have the elves and then we have lake town and then we have <laughs> other dwarves who come in um and I was like so what if we use music to indicate culture like what if that Ooh. becomes it or it almost becomes like a world building and kind of set building device that also gets used to illustrate the sort of values and interests of characters not so much on an individual level but on a cultural level yeah so like you know if the elves the elves sing about something I mean the elves are a bit weird because one is, one feels that was probably a thing that Tolkien wanted to change later cuz the elves in <laughs> the hobbit are nothing like the elves in Lord of the Rings but or like i mean like they do in the movie Uh the hobbit the first film they sing that moria uh not moria um in the first movie the dwarves sing that song about when their you know homeland gets burned and taken over by smaug and that is on the one hand clearly sort of a folk song of their culture but it also is an illustration of their motivations and their values and it serves us both at the same time so can the music always sort of be called upon to do that and that the travel song that Bilbo sings is different from the travel song the dwarves sing and that carries meaning beyond just like and we sing songs
0: right yeah I think so I think I like I I think that is right <laughs>
1: And or, I think then it does become a yeah. musical and not just to play with music.
0: Right. Because it is, I feel like so much of um, Bilbo kind of becoming like their friend and like and companion and also like a part of this, um, of like the larger world and like not being an mm-hmm. isolated Hobbit and like Hobbiton just like eating cheese and bread and, and. The Which smoking. like dream life. Yeah, I Let's know. not lie. <laughs> Oh God! Whenever they de- they describe his larders for so long, and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want please, that. Can I please? snuggle up with a fire? And anyway, one—I mean, one of the themes I feel like for the Hobbit that I wanted just to to bring out more is simply like Bilbo discovering that there's a larger world around him, and that there's that. and there's more people around him, and like different who are all different and different culturally, and like um, I feel like that is an excellent thing to do musically. Yeah. And I feel like at the beginning, he doesn't understand all these, like, songs that the dwarves, like, know implicitly. And, like, he hasn't figured any of this stuff out. But by the end, like, can either, like, sing in harmony with them or, yeah. you know, like that. Like, I feel like uh, that is exactly the kind of thing that you can express through music By and through these songs and, like, adding and adding to these songs. Um, yeah. Because like I, an initial question also is like, do you just scrap all of the songs that are in The Hobbit and place new songs or do you have something where you have these songs only or do you have this where you have these songs and you add your own stuff?
1: I think the last one would be mine. Mm-hmm. I think you'd I'd keep the original songs and add yeah. more. Like I was thinking I about, agree. oh, can you turn Bilbo and Gollum's riddle contest into some kind of singing riddle contest where it's still that they are singing, but it's, it's a song, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're aware of singing. It's not just like now. Oh, this part's a song. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's exactly. Uh, I actually, I mean, there might be thirteen songs because I did put riddles in the dark as a song because I was like, that's gonna, that's obvious. That's It'll gonna be a be song. song.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Picturing one of those. Did you ever sing those songs at camp where it's like the things layer up on each other, like thing in the bog and the bog and the thing. Like, oh yeah, I just it's, like, it's literally can't coming, remember a single lyric. But the
0: princess pat. Lived in a yeah. tree. She yeah. sailed
1: along the seven seas. Um, yeah, exactly. So that's what I would do: is keep the yeah. songs that are there, because why waste them? Right. Maybe move some of them to other places, because I feel like it's pretty front-loaded with songs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: but keep them. Right.
0: They're fun. Yeah, they are fun. I like them. I yeah. Like, I-, I
1: think underused in adaptations,
0: mm-hmm. in my
1: opinion. Well, clearly not the Rankin and Bass, but. Yeah, definitely. The sort of big, famous, shiny adaptation sort of shy away, and I think that it's just like we ha- not being uncomfortable with just being like, "Hey, this is a culture where people sing together."
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I like that. I dig that. Yeah, that's exactly. That. That's the that's exactly the kind of aesthetic that I'm drawn to because it does it illustrates camaraderie a, and community in a way I feel like on stage better than than most things. Yeah, I don't know, you know, I, I feel like it is a great way to, to like show community in a way that's not like a wide pan of a camera or, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And just sort of the idea that much as The Hobbit gets taken as this sort of allegory slash metaphor for like old, old England and the Shire is, you know, the, the grand old country life to say like, no, this is actually just a wholly different culture yes. where they're going to sit around and convey things in song yeah not because it's a musical but because that's how they communicate so actually on that note of this sort of communal aesthetic and what you're saying about how they describe I mean so much of why we love hobbits is their sort of rustic food and drink based communal culture I sort of was like what if I started thinking about when Ed Iskandar this director in New York did this series sort of Dinner theater is the wrong description, but plays that were centered around a communal meal. Yeah, and like he cooked, as I recall, the meal, and like you know everyone ate together, and that was like part of the experience of watching the play. And I was like, I mean, is would is that the perfect sort of venue for this? Like, does it become too much sort of storybook theater if you add in that thing? But I just do love the idea of like on stage food and drink, everyone sort of sitting in a room together rather than
0: yeah. That's you're you're hitting at something that I so for for my version of the Hobbit I was like how do you put an epic like this on stage like there mm-hmm. are dragons like you're traveling so much it mm-hmm. doesn't seem to lend itself to a proscenium show to me which I think is something no. you're getting at like yeah I mean and, I saw the Lord of the Rings the musical
1: uh in wait you did. Yeah, I did. I didn't realize you saw it. Oh, I did. Um, really? And <laughs> Tell me a str- right Well, it struggled with precisely that issue and like yeah. it came up tried to come up with like sort of all these high tech, I mean famously it had this like high tech um, stage that like chunks of it hydraulic stage, that's what I'm trying to say, that, rather. Yeah. It could rise and fall and like create the sense of like going over mountains and creating a landscape. One actor was seriously injured by it. Oh. Um, and it uh was super confusing and not it neither felt magical nor realistic like nor yeah. it wasn't as cool as watching like these wide pans of the mountains of New Zealand right. but nor did it feel like ooh theater magic right it just fell in exactly. this no man's land of like trying to achieve the mountains of New Zealand but obviously failing because it's a theater rather than choosing to do something that you're like oh cool theater magic and I think that that is a yeah
0: a shortcoming that you have to just not even try, I think, to make this story work. No, I, agreed. Like, I think that, like, trying to... There's so... You're you're changing locations so much. It's so magical. Like, there's... You're going from, like, the so Shire... There's walking. There's so much walking. There's the whole barrel scene that, frankly, I would be disappointed <laughs> not to see on... Like, I, like, was, like, for... Okay, so first when I was, like, thinking about this, I was, like, I want there to be a giant waterfall on stage and, like... a lot of like miniatures and like and then so that you do like see at least like barrels going through even if they're like tiny barrels you can hold in your hand just so that there's like some sort of something just I wanted because I I I think that the word that I'm probably going to get banned from using soon is like evoking a sense of wonder but like (laughs) I want wonder
1: but then like what if what if it is this thing where you're all sat at this long table together and then you like spread a blue tablecloth down the table and then yeah. you pass the barrels down the table oh to God. one another and you like throw them and then you there's some game of like Oh, you, I, mean, I was going to say, like, oh, you dropped a barrel, now Bomber's dead. But like, not really. <laughs> but like, you know, that sense of like, don't, you know, they getting... Have
0: through, they have to go through the rest of the show without problem. <laughs> no.
1: But like, yeah, it's like, what if the, the sense of investment and in wonder is not yeah. like, oh
0: my God, it's a waterfall, but it's like, yeah. oh, catch it. Like, you're in this too. Yeah. And so actually, so the version that I kind of want, that I I kind of would love to do, but again, this is like unlimited budget is almost that's what we're always working with we're always working from an unlimited budget
1: so well this i mean if you had the rights to this from new line cinema i'm sure they'd be giving you unlimited budget to make it to be fair
0: (laughs) that's true i would like to do an immersive theater version of this show where essentially like you um take over, like how sleep no more and punch drunk have taken over essentially a warehouse um you solve the different world problems by literally creating different worlds in different rooms. And so my version also, because there are a thousand dwarves. And so I think in my version, you are the dwarves and there's only like Mm. two important dwarves, right? There's like, there's like, there's like Thorin and maybe like, a couple other dwarves and then the rest of the audience are the rest of the dwarves like and they're treated as the dwarves and like that's and then everyone around them so then you can have a larger world of people and like magical creatures because n- your whole cast isn't just dwarves.
1: <laughs> Wait, so I have a question because yes. this is a thing this is like one of my pet peeves is imprecision in the idea of immersive theater.
0: Ooh, okay. So yes.
1: is this immersive? Or is Mm. it just a promenade production where you are nominally given a role, but in fact don't really interact in any way that is capable of changing the story?
0: Oh, you know that is a really good point. I think it would be a promenade production. Thank you, Haley. Yeah. No, no, no. Because I think we, I think all the time people use
1: immersive to mean like it's taking place all around you, but actually that is what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I don't. I mean, I just wanted to clarify, like we're because also awesome, would be a
0: sort of Sleep No More style, where it's just like, be free! Yeah! Oh my Go. god, that, I would love I don't know, my brain doesn't work in that way, but yeah. like the musical, it's like so, because I do You have to, to get people hate. together for the songs yeah. And I want it yeah. to be, I still want it to be a musical.
1: A and narrative
0: A narrative. My problem with immersive and, like, interactive theater is often that I'm constantly taken out of it The reason I think Sleep No More is kind of brilliant is that the language that they're using is like dance, right? And there's a couple like mm-hmm. monologues, but they're not trying to communicate with, with you um, by like trying to converse with you in like the English language, right? Yeah, I don't think I saw any spoken scenes the entire no. time I was there. <laughs> I just missed them all. I truly think that's brilliant because then you're leaning, leaning in to understand this world and it allows you to like be in it. Whereas yeah. every immersive theater thing that I've ever seen where the actors are trying to ad-lib with me takes me out of it immediately because I am just like, it's you're not... so awkward. It's so awkward. But I think the reason that it's awkward is because... They're trying to act like real life and it's so clearly not real life. And, and I also think
1: they're stranded in this like horrible no man's land where it's like they want to elicit a response, but they have to elicit the right response. Yeah. Because if you say the wrong thing, like they it's like yeah, they're simultaneously too open
0: and right. too confined. Yes. Absolutely. And I think if you're trying to compare this experience that you're having with this actor with just a regular experience in the world, it's just like, obviously you just feel awkward and uncomfortable and weird. And it's, and I, I just, I hate it. Like my, my shoulders go up to my ears and I'm just like, yeah. I want to help you, but I, I, I'm not in this world. And I feel like the way to unlock that is to create a different language, right? Like a different way Mm -hmm. that the performers are communicating with the audience. And I think that like doing a musical like this is exactly that. Like you're not ad-libbing with the audience. Like, I don't know if like a couple dwarves get taken to a different room. I don't think people talk to them. I think like it becomes like you have to create a language where the actors and the audience can meet halfway. That is my rant about immersive theater. (laughs) No, I like that
1: a lot. And I like the idea of it being immersive in the sense that you're sort of, you're not separated from the world of the play. It's all around yes. you, but mm-hmm. not immersive in the sense of you directly interact. Like, I like yeah. the idea that, like, the shorthand is like, you guys are the dwarves. That is now meaningless. Just follow Bilbo. Like, exactly. You yeah. don't have to do anything. Yes. You don't have to dress 100%. up. We're not going to suddenly turn to you and be like, what do you think, Biffer? And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's, like, that's just the fiction of, like, that's who you right. are in the world. Don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. But actually
1: all you're doing is walking through some rooms.
0: Exactly. That's exactly it. And, like, an understanding that, like, they get it that you as an audience are, like, filling out this this cast of people just to yeah. get that sense. But it's not, like, yeah, it's not awkward. Yeah.
1: I saw this, like, again, build as immersive, in fact, promenade version of the Odyssey. And mm. the scene that sort of worked the best was the scene where – um it was the scene was on Circe's island where like all of mm-hmm. Odysseus' soldiers get turned into pigs, and yes. we were sort of put into this like pen, and it was like, oh, we're the pigs. Yes, and we didn't have to do anything. Right, that was just like that's why we're here right now. Yes, that's our role in the scene, but it's a completely passive role.
0: Right, and they didn't, and they also didn't have to tell you like you're the pigs. It just like yeah. it was something that you gathered. It just and, became like, clear from the way we were referred to and where we were told to stand. Yeah, which I think is is great because then the audience is more engage like you become more engaged in that way also um yeah yeah, and I just so that that is kind of how I I would go about this because I just don't think it really lends itself to uh, a a traditional like fourth wall structure
1: I like that a lot yeah I actually sort of my mind went in almost exactly the opposite direction instead of the infinite budget the no budget yeah. And have it be basically like the campfire version. Yes. And again, with this idea of like the onstage food and drink, not so much being like dinner theater, but being like, yeah, we're having a picnic, we're sitting around a campfire and there's this very yeah. explicit sense of, and we're telling this story. Yeah. And also a,
0: a meal as like, you know, as ritual, like a meal yeah. as like something that like, obviously like hobbits do together, but also like mm-hmm. you would do together with your like extended family and here the lore of... Yeah, it's the folklore of...
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even then, it's like, I think you could have a sense of like, oh no, now we're in Middle Earth telling this story. You know, like, this is the tale of our ancestors, the dwarves, or whatever. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, yeah, more of a sense of, like I said, you know, you spread a blue tablecloth and pass the barrels back and forth. And
0: when it's time
1: for... Then they walked for three days, you say, and then they walked for three days. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then also allows for just like very open doubling of a smaller yeah. cast so rather than right. having to have like a cast of 50 it's like okay and now he's playing um what's his name oh my gosh names man
0: there's you so know. many pe- there's so many characters now
1: he's playing a dwarf and now he's playing a hobbit and now he's playing yeah. a guy in lake town and yeah. it's just like it doesn't matter right
0: yeah who, can... that the one dude who brings down smaug
1: yeah what that <laughs> name is just gone from my head right now <laughs> so, so that's good yeah the Orn.
0: the the yeah no the bard He's a bard. Yorn's the oh, yeah. guy who, like, who uh, who houses them after the oh, eagles yeah. save them. There's
1: so many characters, Jen. <laughs> I know. and I everyone's literally... name sounds the same. Literally... Why does everyone's name start with a B, Tolkien?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Backrack. I don't know. <laughs> um I'm in the but also, i was just thinking and then also uh the the blue tablecloth underneath could be mm-hmm. on the other side could be red and it could come up and be the dragon yeah
1: exactly and like everyone could be like okay you have to shake the tablecloth like i just think that would be a fun way of doing that
0: absolutely because it like the hobbit is a great book to read aloud it can be a very oral storytelling experience um and like that's something kind of great I don't yeah
1: know. And like at the end, when there's going to be the battle, it's like the elves can come sit at one end of the table, and then like the dwarves come sit at the other end of the table, and everyone has to like shove over and make room at the table, and like lots of sort of switching seats, which actually does bring me to, I think, another big question mark. Yeah. About this, that, I, it, which is that the main character is unconscious for the climactic battle, and it never gets described. <laughs> right <laughs> and so there is this sort of just talking like and obviously in a in a um something that's not a novel like we we're we can yep. see things we can decide right. oh we see things that bilbo doesn't see but structurally right. it's not built to contain the battle itself
0: no exactly that's exactly we don't know.
1: yeah it's built to have it be described after the fact like right. it doesn't work i think the arc of it doesn't quite work if you try and put a battle in yeah, and so what do you do with that, and how do you make that? And I think that's something that again I was drawn to with this sort of storytelling, theatery yes. dinner that it fits to be like. And then the battle happened. Here's what happened. We missed it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's also interesting about the structure is it like it you're you're taking it and the battle that you like the the battle that you think is going to be the end battle, which is essentially like all right, we slayed the dragon, we're done, is not mm-hmm. that the end battle. Right. Yeah. And so you have this kind of weird, like, you're building up, you're building up, oh, we killed Smog, oh, we found the Arkenstone, like, we, this is all happening. And then it's, like, a false ending, then that yeah. goes back up to the battle again, and then it's like, okay, now we go home. Like, it's kind of a weird, I mean, it makes sense in, in a story that's talking about Bilbo, who's always, like, been in the Shire and is, like, having to learn and like gain perspective of like all of the people who actually live in this world and how big this world actually is. Um, yeah. So that it ends on all of those people, all those different peoples coming together um, to, to fight like the darkness essentially. Yeah, And the um, idea
1: that what he, the it's like the first half is sort of like, no, the world is bigger than the Shire. These dwarves will tell you. And then it becomes, no, the world is even bigger than what the dwarves told you it was.
0: Yeah. And then it's like, we thought th- and yeah, and then it's like we thought the point of this whole thing was to slay the dragon and like get their their home back, when really the point of this whole thing is like we need to bind together against this like much greater threat.
1: Yeah, and I do think that that's something that the movie an impulse it seemed to have mm-hmm. that I think was not successfully followed through, was to recognize that if you structure the story around the relationship between Bilbo and Thorin, mm-hmm. suddenly that kind of second act feels natural because you realize right. oh well their problems aren't solved when the right. dragon like they haven't resolved their friendship yeah you sort of Absolutely. have to see that through to the end mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also there is something really delightfully it sort of reminds me of like a fairy tale or a ghost story when you're like but then that
0: <laughs> wasn't the end like yeah. <laughs> there's more <laughs> All right. Shall we take a a, a brief intermission for our intermission well, so cocktail? Before we
1: do, where oh. do you feel this intermission falls? How does oh, our first act God. end? Okay, because I, in this description, part of me is like, does it end with Smaug? But there's not enough
0: left after that. No. Okay. Can I here? Let me. Um. You know, we have time. I'm just gonna go through my main points. It's like mm-hmm. our main like scenes. Okay. Yeah, there's okay. Gandalf and Bilbo. Yeah. Hosting the dwarves, starting the adventure, the trolls. Mm-hmm. Rivendell, Goblins, Gollum, more goblins and wargs. Um, the Eagles save them. The Eagles save them. Also, wh- how do you put that on stage? Okay. Uh <laughs> of pure Merkwood, the spiders, being captured by wood elves, the barrels, Lake Town, Lonely Mountain, they find that Smaug is vulnerable. The thrush goes to the Bard, Bard slays Smaug, the dwarves take the mountain all the depths and then there's war due to the depths and due to all the depths from everyone. Uh, Then Mm -hmm. the Battle of Five Armies. Then Thorin dies and makes up with Bilbo and then Bilbo returns home.
1: So that's 24 scenes. So many
0: things. So So what's 12? What's halfway through? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. The spider like being captured by wood elves, which actually could work. Uh,
1: That is kind of a good suspenseful end of act. It's like, how are they going to
0: get out yeah, and then you start with the then you start with barrels. Though it's true that in the
1: both the formats, like I could see my version, my like campfire version being like ninety minutes long, right? Maybe at, butting against two hours, but because you're eating and drinking the whole time, you don't necessarily need an intermission in the same way, right? If you're similarly, it's like how do you build? I guess it's like you bring people into a room where they just get to chill for fifteen minutes before moving yeah. on.
0: You know, actually, I wouldn't. I kind of wouldn't want there to be an intermission. So this intermission cocktail might just be you know present throughout that said if yeah. we're doing the promenade version practically it makes sense to
1: have the escape or the capture be right before intermission because then you have intermission to set up whatever the barrels yeah the no that is. makes
0: total sense yeah i mean it might be like hey everybody uh we're all captured captured here uh stay in this room drink for i mean drink to be fair it is the scene minutes. where the elves get drunk so it's oh like my this God. intermission yes. is the scene yes. where the elves are getting yes. drunk. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes, and that's what are delightful. they getting drunk on, Jen? You know, honestly, I just felt that it was only right that it's not really a cocktail. It's just mead. It's just got to be mead. You can make a mead cocktail, to be fair. You could make a mead cocktail, but I just didn't. I Just, just straight up mead. I just didn't really get it together good. in time. So, like, like. what are the wood elves drinking? Are they drinking mead?
1: I don't know that it said. I think they're drinking wine.
0: They're probably drinking wine.
1: But there could be wine and mead.
0: There um, co- yeah. yeah, that's mead very true. Mead is really true. good. I record. love, I love mead. I think it should be like a blackberry mead. Like oh, I just like a blackberry so mead good. would just, it's, it just feels, it feels appropriate. What if, there's
1: a, what if there's a couple, there's like
0: a blackberry, there's a regular, there's like yeah. maybe one other yes. brighter fruit. Yes, absolutely. So I, there's mead and wine, but I feel like mead is just appropriate for like the, the kind of adventuresome spirit and like the, the vague time that it's in. Like mead is I a like very it. old beverage.
1: And with this sort of, um, like, immersive vibe that we're both going for, that you're yeah. kind of drinking what they'd be drinking,
0: Yeah, fun. Yeah, 100%. That's how I, I felt like it was less sort of like a novelty beverage and more like you're a part of this world kind yeah, of beverage. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. All right.
1: So, for... so you got drunk with the elves. The elves <laughs> are wasted now. They fall asleep. Hopefully the audience doesn't.
0: Yeah, I I'm really into this. I really like getting drunk, the idea of like getting drunk with the elves and then, In the never ending, like in the crazy version. Like we would put audience members into barrels somehow and like make it fun. <laughs> but yeah, I have but no I mean, idea like how in the sort that. of
1: promenade version, I almost feel like you can do something where it's like, oh, quick run, and they're seeing something kind of below that. Like it's like you. I'm picturing like you run across like a kind of catwalk type thing and there's like a river somehow below you that you look down and see the dwarves in the barrels somehow or something like that. Or like you look out a window and it's like on the other side of the window yeah. somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I dig that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or as in my version, you just having gotten drunk, you then throw barrels at each other's heads.
0: <laughs> no liability issues there. <laughs>
1: That's our real slogan.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You have no of waiver issues. <laughs> you, yeah. waiver.
1: <laughs> you might get beamed by a barrel of waiver.
0: Um Yeah. Uh, do you think the dance has any part in this? That's a great question. Like I mean, dance I think, or movement?
1: Yeah. That's a great question. I mean I sort of feel like it depends on I, I feel like once you've established that like the singing is something they're actually doing, then mm-hmm. arguably the dance does too. And so there could be dance that's sort of like folk dance, but it might be – it's hard for me to picture how then to incorporate the idea that like, oh, now we have like lyric dance that is purely sort of metaphorical when all the singing has been established as literal.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine metaphorical dance really existing in this world. Yeah, I just think – I think that it, because the song, you're right, because the songs are like more like folk songs and you have to do like folk dance of like, we are aware that we are dancing right now. This is no metaphorical like value.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not like Smaug is a dancer, though that would be arguably <laughs> cool. But like, I think it's just like, how do you, that seems to break the rules of the
0: world. You'd have to yeah, find another totally way does. much yeah.
1: earlier on to set up that rule. And I don't mm-hmm. know when or how that could
0: happen. Yeah. Agreed. 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 Oh I mean my I think one of my big questions about uh like going through this is like how do we deepen this story mm honestly like one of my favorite things about the adaptation of the books of Lord of the Rings to the movies is that there's a deepening that happens. There's like a deepening of characters that happened in that adaptation. Like it gave them a lot more of them, like stronger art, a lot more of the characters, like stronger arcs and um, choices, which is, is interesting. And so is there a way that we deepen this? Is this less about deepening characters or like how, how do we do that? yeah I think that's a great
1: question and I think that like maybe we're both biased and that we're both very much character people yeah (laughs) um and so I also agree that reads as an improvement to me on the source material for the Lord of the Rings I like that the characters feel more fully drawn and I think if you're going to do something like what I said before with make sort of Bilbo and Thorin's ship be the sort of engine of the
0: arc (laughs) stop laughing (laughs) Our relationship is a frenemy ship from now on. I just, we're not enemies. We're not enemies at all. I just want to use no one the would word. believe you if you said that. I just want to. I would just want to use the word frenemy ship forever. Can that be my frenemy ship? <laughs> yeah. Can I have a literal boat that's named fre- frenemy ship? So it's a literal yes. ship.
1: Yes. All I can think of is those Kate Beaton comics about the rivals. It's like the pirate and the sailor, and they're like oh the nemesis. And he's, they're always like, he's got like a locket. It's got like a picture of the nemesis. In it.
0: <laughs> anyway. Sorry, um, I, I didn't mean to go so overboard. God damn it, Jen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you turn
1: that rivalry slash friendship, frenemyship, into the sort of engine of the plot, that is already a deeper character arc for both of them. I'd like to report that Jen has fallen off her chair. It is out of view of the screen.
0: I was trying to get my laughter under control, so you could you could say something. It (laughs) was great. (laughs) It was worse. It was more distracting. (laughs) Um. Yeah. Like. Sorry. Having no. Don't apologize. Bilbo and Thorin's uh, relationship being the driving force. So, like that sort of development. And that has a knock-on effect for both of them because they sort of have to
1: have personalities for their personalities to be in conflict beyond the sort of series of plot-based conflicts that they have in the book, which is basically like, he can't do this. Oh, wait, he can. I don't want to go to war. I do. That's it. (laughs) And the thing is that I was thinking about when I was revisiting this is that despite in most ways being much more simple than Lord of the Rings it's much more complicated in that you don't have the sort of faceless evil orcs who you don't have to feel bad about killing in droves and you don't have literal good versus evil and I think that obviously Lord of the Rings gets a lot more complicated and the sort of good side has a lot of shades within it but the sort of you know I I think as someone who doesn't really like action movies and movies where like a lot of people get killed Mm -hmm. lord of the rings feels safe because it's like oh they're orcs they're evil it's like whatever yeah i'm sure someone's gonna be like well in the Silmarillion, there's all this blah 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 blah." i haven't read it i'm sorry i don't care (laughs) um whereas i
0: mean they also set like in the in the film like they set up like you know these things are literally born of darkness they're they're pure evil it's like literally like there's no
1: yeah i mean and there's that one sort of line that's in both uh, that I think Sam says in the books and Faramir has in the movies that's like, oh, right, the Harad dream. Who are these guys? Do they even want to be fighting at all? And then it's just like, anyway, moving on. Uh, they have evil elephants. We hate them. Bye. Uh, whereas, and also racist. Also, the dwarves. Weirdly anti-Semitic. It's fine. We don't have to have any of that in ours. Partly because the Battle of the Five RVs is about five. We're, we have reasons to root for all five armies all five of the five armies uh it's not a battle that's good against evil it's a battle of complicated against complicated against everyone has a reason to be fighting for this and we kind of wish they weren't fighting at all yes absolutely um and so i think there's a lot of room to sort of dig into that and to explore the ways in which this is a way more ethically complex dilemma than
0: it it is in um in lower Rings in some ways Definitely. So everyone in this story is a man. (laughs) Yeah, there's that. Um, Uh, I mean,
1: to be fair, what I really wanted the movie to do was just be like, hey, remember how we made all those weird jokes in Lord of the Rings about how dwarf women and dwarf men are indistinguishable? Yeah. Let's just roll with that and have some of these men be women, but
0: they just got beards and stuff. They're just indistinguishable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly how you do that. It's just like de gaff about like yeah, about, half of them about are women. gender. Or like yeah, yeah n- just just don't care. There's no there's because there's not really we're not saying any the story isn't saying anything about gender. There's no, no reason for like we're not making any statements here. There's no, no romance in this either there's like there's not there's nothing anyone can be anything Thorin could be played by a woman a man a non-binary person
1: yeah yeah it's the same story I admit I do like the idea of then just deciding some of the dwarves are women because yeah. it's like okay well rather than saying they get to be neutral because they're all men say they're neutral so some of them are women and yes it doesn't matter right that's exactly
0: it and like they still
1: have to have beards so. though so like that's just a, requirement.
0: a thousand percent agreed. But yeah, I think that you're, what you're touching on is that oftentimes when people are like, oh, you can have anyone play these roles, that's still the default in a lot of people's minds are just like, okay, so white male. And that's like yeah. not. And so in order to make it so that everyone can actually play these roles, you say, cool, half of these need to be women.
1: Yeah. And also that white male equals blank slate and anything else carries meaning. It's like, oh, well, if they're a woman, then they're not neutral anymore. It's like no, they're so neutral that some of them are women because it's totally neutral and it makes no difference yeah. to the story because absolutely. that's not what the story is about at all. And obviously, ditto with race as well. It's not going to yeah. be an all-white cast, right? In my version,
0: absolutely. Yeah, it just because that's none of that is what the story is about. It's
1: fantasy. There's a
0: dragon, so
1: <laughs> there, there could be. Else. If you're like, I'm okay with the dragon, but the woman, the black woman with the beard, is implausible. <laughs> then. <laughs> There's just separate issues happening
0: for you in your mind. Welcome to all my feelings about Game of Thrones, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> uh. Yes. Uh. Sorry, I'm now just like hearkening, hearkening back to that argument that I've given so many, so many men on dating apps. Um. <laughs> the Listen, worst, The worst. I buy dragons, but people of
1: color in fake medieval England. I'm just saying, it's history. Yeah, I
0: hate, I hate everyone. Anyway, (laughs) go moving on. Yes, please let's. Um, But it's important to say. Yes, it is absolutely. It is so important to say. This is a conversation that should happen with. To me, this is a conversation that needs to happen with every creative team for a show because, like, not think, not thinking about it leads to like the default, like the how it's always been,
1: and right, exactly. And I think especially when you're saying, okay, we're going to bring this story. We're going to take the money and the time and the effort to put this story on stage. Yes. Which is originally all men. You have, I'm, I want to force a creative team to say, no, we want it to be all men. Make that be an active decision by asking yes. the question.
0: Yes, absolutely. Force them
1: to either change it or say, nope, we want it this way. And it's like, great, you've made the choice. At least you didn't default to it. You made that decision. I'm judging you for making that decision. <laughs> but at least I know it was active and not yeah. just because you didn't think about it.
0: Right, exactly. 100%. Oh, the other idea – I had two other, like, ideas that before I landed on the, the like, promenade version is <laughs> um, puppets. Like, I I, I also envisioned <laughs> – I know puppets. So many puppets always in all of the versions that we've done of everything. However, the
1: <laughs> – Listen, imagined, Julie Taymor would do an
0: amazing Hobbit, to be fair. That's so true. Um, so I had a version where, like, the set was just, like – filled with stuff. (laughs) Like, it'd be, like, a really cool, um, just, like, massive, uh, massive set, and then all of the puppets um, are made out of found items on the set. And so you, like, bring found items together and, like, part of the magic is you're, like, creating the puppets, like, as you go through the show. Okay, that's really awesome. That's super cute.
1: Thank you! (laughs) But I, can I just say, on a side note, that I love the idea of a set that in being crammed with just things is simultaneously the packed hobbit hole yes. the dragon horde. Yes. Like it, that it's so much, now that you say that, I'm like, it's so much a story about people. I mean, it is literally a story about people trying to get hold of things. Yes. And in the end, the things not being what matters. Oh, you know, that iconic, you know.
0: You <laughs> said iconic, story. do I get to take a shot?
1: God! <laughs> that classic, um, story of like it's not really the the stuff it's about our relationships but somehow illustrating that with like this super cluttered set I kind of love
0: yeah absolutely I kind of I I think even in the promenade version I kind of want all the rooms to be cluttered and I kind of want to combine that and like still take still add that sort of magic um Yeah. yeah and then the other I then when I was also just throwing out ideas to see what was sticking in my brain I was like what is the rock opera version of The
1: Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, that sort of reminds me of when, of the thing I said at the beginning of like Tolkien tried to rewrite it. Like right. The tone is what makes it The Hobbit. That is true. That is what makes it different from Lord of the Rings is You're the right. tone. And a rock opera is by definition sort of too dark and angry to
0: be The that Hobbit. That is a great point. That is a great point. Well so then electro pop opera? Yes.
1: I mean that said like I love it and I want it. Yeah. But folk folk opera.
0: Ooh. I mean that's what
1: it is. It's the yeah, it's the, the Decemberists composed the folk opera version of The Hobbit. Oh, wait, but I want that. I'm such I mean I'm like <laughs> Yeah. I mean now as soon as can it I premiere said it, in
0: Portland. Can we That is where we it this? must
1: premiere. Can we... Um Wait.
0: Wait. 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 Wait wait wait. wait. <laughs> So, yes. So the Decembrists, write <laughs> all the music for this. Yes. It is an, like it is a, like, promenade-style version where there's lots of stuff in every room. That, I think that that's the thing. I think that'd be cool if you could interact with the set. Um, and then, and also the actors interact with the set. And, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I'm into it. I now want the Decembrists version of The Hobbit. Thank you. You're welcome. I want it badly as well. <laughs> Unfortunately,
1: some being from Portland in fact does not endow me with powers to make it happen psychically with Colin Malloy. But I will try.
0: I mean, didn't Colin Malloy also write that wonderful like children's book, Wildwood? Like, I feel yes. like it would be right up their alley. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know how to top that. Like, I feel like I have some more notes, but I. I I just now all I'm gonna do is just daydream about the Decemberist version of The Hobbit.
1: Is it like sung through? I feel like because we got there from the rock opera idea, or they just write music to go with the songs that are there. Mm. I asked this only because it was like we we're like, oh, the folk opera version, and then I was like, sung through. I love it.
0: <laughs> I know. I kind of i i i kind of would default to it kind of being sung through because it is kind of an it is an epic. It solves the same problems as like as then no one has to talk to the audience directly and it doesn't have to be weird when you're up close and personal with the actors. Um, I think I'd have to be convinced. I think that in the creating of it, I'd have to be convinced if it wasn't working. Like I would, if if it wasn't working as a story, then I would go back to not having it sung through. But I think that's something that I'd have to be convinced either way. You and
1: Colin would have to
0: sit down and talk about it. Yeah, it would be many, many many dates of cappuccinos and uh you <laughs> a child <laughs>
1: i just um I friends. <laughs> creative friends i'm sorry Coffee you're right friends. that was so like heteronormative <laughs> of me to assume that a man and a woman can't just be creative friends
0: yeah, um really.
1: <laughs> but like actually not to take this idea too seriously uh take it too I,
0: seriously uh, i'm into that's it that's what we're here to do yeah.
1: i think that I don't think it will work to be sung through yeah, because I don't think enough characters, I mean, and maybe actually then this is the answer to how to deepen it, is that mm. I think the, t- the like kind of big famous opera, opera musicals, sung through musicals are like Les Mis, Fan of the Opera, Jesus Christ Superstar. Is that sung through? There's a little bit of dialogue, actually. I'm not familiar. Yeah. Isn't Avita I'm not either.
0: Avita's sung through, right?
1: Avita. They all have a bunch of characters with distinct points of view, right. and that's why they can sustain endless songs. I mean, to the extent they do. I think they also have some pretty janky recitative sections. But the Hobbit is so focused on Bilbo. I think we'd run out of things for Bilbo to sing. Unless it becomes something that really broaden the scope. Right. Well,
0: I mean, I was of course also thinking of Natasha Pierre. And the Great uh, Comet yes. 1812, uh, in terms of like taking like that sort of source text and like turning it into an electro pop opera, um, but I feel like for that it is also there. Are th- there are a bunch of characters that you're learning but about, are,
1: but we're just like there's a bunch of characters in this as well. And actually, Natasha Pierre is an amazing model because something that I think succeeds so well structurally about that is you have a character at the center, who is Pierre, who is incredibly static until the very end yeah but they kind of keep returning to him so he can be static without dragging down the pace of the story because we just pop back we're like what's Pierre doing he's singing a song okay bye we're going back to the plot so he's present and we're sort of aware of his stagnation Mm -hmm. without the story stagnating Uh uh-huh yeah and I wonder if either Thorin or Bilbo could serve that same purpose not in that they're stagnant per se but that it's like if we just sort of check back in with Bilbo occasionally Mm -hmm. like the other characters and worlds kind of swirl around him and then we anchor back into Bilbo or alternately to Thorin who has sort of this one goal that he pursues kind of monomaniacally from beginning to end it's like what's Thorin doing oh he's still obsessing okay checking back out um and I think that is something if you're gonna have it be sung through it could actually function really well I realize I'm compl- I've turned completely around <laughs> on this issue I but it is you. That, like you have these sort of anchor characters and then these other worlds and other bajillion characters come and sort of sing around them but then we dip back into the sort of how you doing Bilbo what do you think of this
0: I think the challenge then is the challenge that we illustrated at the very beginning which is the, sh- the songs that exist within the world and you know that they're singing and the songs that exist like yeah you know, like that, then yes. that is yes. that becomes a central tension if this is sung through, because if you're including the songs that Tolkien wrote, then you, it's, I don't think those songs can exist outside of like, this is actually happening in the world. I think that's a really interesting challenge and something dynamic that I'd be super stoked to see because I think it makes it, again, so that the audience is kind of having to like figure it out a little more and i'm really okay with the audience like not spoon feeding an audience i think if you spoon feed an audience they get bored
1: i mean and i don't think it has to be super complicated it could even be something like the actors start playing instruments when it's in world music and then there's non-diegetic music that comes in from sort of unseen musicians if we're sort of moving through the space um that signals that this is now kind of musical music right. not in-world music
0: right 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 right.
1: yeah you know if when when Thorin takes out his banjo then you know we're singing on stage we're singing in world rather doesn't Thorin play the
0: harp isn't that his thing
1: oh my god you're so right doesn't he play a harp no I the reason okay I no I think you're right I just want I'm now I know I realize that like by harp they probably mean like one of those little handheld harps but I'm picturing him like hauling this giant Standing harp. I think Thorin should absolutely have to
0: play, like, a giant full <laughs> harp.
1: I mean, talking about the idea of, like, how can the in-world music convey character even when it's Tolkien, Tolkien's song. Yeah. For someone like Thorin to play such a soothing and elegant instrument gives us so much information about his character. If it's not just that,
0: you know, Ooh. in this
1: sort of new, you know, how we did the Sweeney Todd where everyone plays the yeah. instruments. It's not actor playing Thorin plays the harp, so he's yes. playing the harp because that's what he knew how to play. But Right thorin the character plays the harp and that's character information he's amazing yeah. i love who is thorin that <laughs> is like starts a war for no damn reason and then goes in his room and plays his beautiful elegant harp who is this person i love him that's, yeah that's
0: such a wonderful point and i really like our version of a hobbit personally
1: i, <laughs> I do want, too i, I, want, want, I it want it I want, badly
0: I want, I want i want to manifest this into the world we're, this is what we're
1: doing right now. We're just yeah. bringing it. Someone's gonna, um, the people at Peter Jackson is gonna hear this podcast and be like, "Listen, whoever the heck
0: owns the rights to the Hobbit now." All right. Well, uh, I have one final question for you, Haley. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's a way to turn this into a three-part series? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um I mean I think that once three The of have written a score I would easily listen to a 12 hour <laughs> sung through <laughs> hobbit folk opera and then you could do it on like three consecutive nights 3 hours each night sorry I said 12 hours 4 hours each night Um
0: I mean I yeah, I'm in. I, I mean I I saw like Taylor Max 24 hour show 6 hours there for 4 days I mean, also, I think it's a question of like,
1: how much, how active are you making the audience be in this promenade version? That's like, it's very exhausting. Maybe you have to break it up into sort of three 45-minute parts, and then you just drink Easy. a lot in between. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I love oh it. Lord. This sounds <laughs> great. I'm um, excited for this to happen. Yeah.
0: Well, that is it for The Hobbit, the musical. Uh, and also it for the first round of Dot 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 The Musical Podcast. We'll be back in your
1: feeds very soon, so please subscribe to be the first to know when we release our next round of musicals that we will talk ourselves into actually wanting to happen by accident. <laughs> um, and if there is anything you'd like to see us transform into an amazing musical, drop us a line at podcast at com. And that is dot, like a period, not the word dot. Yep. The musical period podcast at gmail.com. Sweet.
0: we'll be back soon hey everybody jen here thank you for listening to this season of dot dot the musical if you've enjoyed our show please rate and review us on itunes subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um, and help other people find the show Uh, Thanks again to Jen Lin for our intro and outro music. And again, thanks to all of you for listening. See you next time.